Welcome to the Data for Betterment podcast, Reimagine Hybrid Work, with your host, Maribel Lopez. Maribel is the founder of the Data for Betterment Foundation and Lopez Research. The Data for Betterment Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps individuals understand and prepare for how their career will change as companies embrace new technologies. Lopez Research, a market research and strategy consulting firm, helps companies understand how technologies such as connected devices, collaboration, cloud computing, and AI change the customer and employee experience. The firm's clients range from startups to global corporations, including 10 of the Fortune 30. She's also the author of the highly regarded business book on how those technologies are transforming the company, employee, and customer experience, Right Time Experiences, published by Wiley. She's also a frequent public speaker at corporate events and contributor at Forbes.com. Maribel is currently researching and writing her next book on how to build successful strategies for workplace transformation. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited to be here with Daniel Newman, also known as Dan. Or do you prefer Daniel? Which would you prefer to be today, Dan or Daniel? Yeah, friends, family often call me Dan, but I'm a Professionally, you know, whenever we're doing the media stuff, I usually say Daniel. It made me feel older. But now that I've reached my 40s, I'm old all by myself. So, you know what? Now that you're older and wiser. I consider you a friend and a colleague. You can call me whatever you like. I think you usually call me Dan, though, if I actually think about it. Now, I don't know. Maybe you, you, you actually mix it up. All right. We're going to call you Daniel for the purposes right. Right of today's. Right Daniel Newman, the founder, partner, and principal analyst at Futurum Research. Dan, I wish I gave you a lot to, I give you a mouthful there. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny because I'm the founder and principal analyst at Lopez Research. And I think that, you know, so many things one could be today, but there's one thing being a founder. There's another thing being an analyst. They are actually two separate jobs. So I totally understand what you're getting at. But for those that might not be familiar with you, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, I like to believe everybody's familiar with me, but we know that's not the case. That's uh, a crazy level of of myopicness. That's even such a word. Uh, Yeah, Daniel Newman, I'm the founding partner and principal analyst of a firm that uh, is similar to Maribel, to Lopez Research. We're a little bit different in the sense that we are a group of analysts and Futurum is, I've tried to build it. (laughs) I'm trying to create a company that uh, has a broad set of analysts across the spectrum that cover many things, but you and I, you know, we share that kind of east-west, cover a lot of things and have a lot of different passions across the digital transformation and technology spectrum, which is why we know each other so well, because we used to be at events together all the time. But I founded the firm going on five years ago. We work with about a hundred logos now. So we advise about a hundred of the world's, I like to call them most interesting and prolific companies across technology, everything from chips to SaaS. And everything in between, so infrastructure, data, mobility, devices, you know. So seven-time bestseller. I've written seven books, most recent called Human Machine, right on Forbes Market Watch. I do a lot of broadcasts just like you. Sometimes, in fact, I see you and me on the same TV shows on the same days talking about the same things. So it's always fun to come on with you and talk because I know that if I say something that is not accurate, your analytical brain is going to be certain to catch me for it. <laughs> oh, you do make me laugh, Daniel. All right. So how did you get to where you are today? Just give a quick point on what your background is, because I know people are always interested on how does somebody become an analyst or a founder of a research firm? 
Yeah, so I, I was a practitioner. I was propelled by a swift kick in my rear end. So at, I'm 40. I made that joke earlier, so I'm open about my age. And my oldest daughter is 20. been married for 20 years. I have a 20-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 5-year-old son. And a lot of my motivation in life came when I found out at 20 years old I was going to be a parent. So I finished college. I got an MBA. I went to work. became a CEO of an IT VAR that focused on unified communications when I was 27 years old. That's when I wrote my first book called Millennial CEO. And I really just hustled. I mean, I know that word is sort of, that word can be a little bit polarizing with people because there's the, the hustle and hustling, but worked really, really hard. And I kind of always felt a little bit like a failure. You became a dad so young, out of wedlock, unexpectedly. You know, maybe this is a little too personal, but I think it makes for good for good content. And so it just motivated me to work really hard. And Technology was something I was always passionate about. A little bit of the backstory there, I'll keep it real short, is I was a musician, classically trained in the piano. When I was early, when I was first, uh, you know, getting married and raising children, I, I DJed and not like wedding DJed. I actually produced records and I spun records in clubs, but I learned how to set up PA systems, set up recording rigs and decks, Pro Tools, really learned how the technology worked, software, got into selling it a little bit, ended up working in that business turned from that business to enterprise tech, enterprise tech into executive roles. And then, you know, at some point it just pivoted into realizing that um, I was somewhat able to break down all these technologies and explain them to people, which is what I think is really important about what analysts do today. Absolutely. That was a a lot. Well, you compressed it. I mean, that's a whole life story in like a few minutes. So I think that's pretty darn good. So one of the things that we've been talking about is, you know, you and I have been in a lot of things. They've spent everything from like hybrid cloud to hybrid work. And this is the Reimagined Hybrid Work podcast. So I thought it would make sense to talk a little bit about hybrid work. So what do you think? I mean, what are you Mm -hmm. seeing? You're talking to a lot of people. What are the specific challenges enterprises are facing as they look at this move to hybrid work? A period of time right now where we're sort of settling in to figure out what work is going to look like. And I think there's parts and pieces of the market that, that want to say that this is what hybrid work is going to be and that is what hybrid work is going to be. But I think the one thing we realized throughout the pandemic is flexibility is what work is going to be. And every company runs a little bit differently and it's going to be culturally driven. And so we've done a ton of research on this, primary data, reviewed secondary data. And in the end, you know, every company on the planet is going to be able to reset and reassess how technology is contributing to the culture they want their organizations to be. We've marginalized somewhat in person. And and that's problematic because part of what created cultures and many of the great cultures of businesses that we all admire was was done through moments at the water coolers and in the lunchrooms and break rooms and travel and on the road. While we were hyperproductive, while we were remote, we also lost a lot of what I would call, you know, the, the interpersonal types of relationships that create love and passion and affinity for work. So we're going to have to find balance. And so a lot of the research seems to point to you know, this is the one thing or this is that is the one thing. But the one thing as I see it is going to be that every company is going to be able to uniquely identify what's going to enable them to be successful in the long run. And some are going to pick based on what they think needs to happen rather than what should happen. So I advise companies to really take a hard look at your culture when they decide what hybrid work is going to look like post-pandemic. I think culture is actually the biggest thing. If you think about it, we've talked about the technology for a long time and we figured out sort of how to do everyone remote. And we figured out how to do everyone in person, or at least that's where we were before, right? And now we're in the zone. Um, I've said this before, too. It's like we've got to figure out how to do it when some people are remote and some people are in person. And it's not even necessary that the same person is remote all the time or in the office all the time, right? So we, it really is hybrid. Like some people will go back and forth between these two. And creating 
a set of processes for that, I think is really interesting and, and different. And we're hearing a lot about like the collaboration suites and other things that, that people are talking about. And that's part of it. But I definitely think what you're trying to create in culture is one of those things. But you know, speaking of those collaboration suites, you know, we're hot on the heels of Cisco's WebEx One and Microsoft's Ignite. Both of these have actually had a heavy focus on modern work. Were there any surprises or did anything strike you as interesting? Did you did you have a chance to attend either of those events? Of course. Yeah. I mean, we all attend everything now, 50 events yeah. a week. Sometimes we Fair actually point. even tune in and pay attention. It's hard. It's hard because there's too many distractions and being in person. I do want to say one last thing about our, your last question, though, is interpersonal relationships that existed ahead of COVID, I think, sustained very well. When you talked about like new hires building new levels of trust and new orgs orgs and chains of command that were fully remote and didn't even benefit from team getaways and, you know, workshops. Like, I just think that was, oh gosh, that's so hard. And so companies that were able to work through that, I don't care how great the collaboration is. So speaking of Cisco, WebEx One, Ignite, obviously Ignite covered a ton more ground than WebEx One, WebEx One being pure collaboration. So within Ignite, you're really kind of looking more at the team's components of it and how those two things compared I mean, the advancements are great. What I like seeing is the analytical data. I like seeing the fact that we can get to a granularity where we can understand each individual's work behaviors and we can accommodate that. So I talked about in the last question, you know, accommodating a culture and building technology to to support the kind of culture you want to be. Well, what I see happening with collaboration now is also building the technology to be able to enable every employee to be the most productive and capable and and satisfied. You know, happy maybe is the wrong word because happy is what we try to do outside of work. And I'm being facetious. I like what I do, but it's not the job of the company to make you happy, but it should be satiating. It should be fulfilling. And you should be able to find work that you, and do it in such a way that fits your life best. So things like, hey, I want to be at my kid's ball game, or I want to go to my daughter's you know, wedding, or whatever it is, you can fit that in. And, and with data and analytics, you might find out, hey, I can work from 8 a.m. to noon and then 5 p.m. to midnight and be 55% more productive than working that straight nine to five shot that everybody used to, 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 to like. So I'm seeing a lot more data implementations and the ability for kind of multi-tenancy in the collaboration space where every user is a tenant in their own way. Because in the end, I think before COVID, video was one of these things and collaboration was one of those things that we did, we had, it was always supposed to take over, it never did. Well, when we finally had to have it take over, it did. But I think we're also learning what, going back to your earlier question, what hybrid is all about. And that's going to be individualism, individual choice. And, and like I said, and, and companies trying to find those employees that fit the culture, but also building where you can grow and learn and adapt and change within the environment in a really meaningful way. And I think that's a lot of what the investment in technology is doing, of course, besides the metaverse, which I'm hoping you're going to ask me about next. Yeah, I, I will. But I want to riff a little bit on what you were just saying. Of course. Um, so one of the things that I think is really interesting, you were talking about the work styles, right? And I think employees or individuals are now trying to figure out like when they're most productive, what their work styles are. I've been reading a couple of different books. Like a while ago, I read a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work, which I thought was really interesting. And it got to the sense that there are certain things you do that just require focus. And, you know, maybe if you're writing that focus for like an hour doing a presentation or a strategy session or whatever it is, there's this deep work concept. And then there's another book that I'm reading called At Your Best. And that book talks a lot about how you have like green, red, and yellow zones and trying to map sort of like when you are most productive throughout the day. 
and doing specific work in these different zones. And then one of the things that you brought up is the concept of time. There's other things as an individual, you know, as personal family in a life that you need to do. Maybe you need to go to the doctors, maybe you need to go to a soccer game and sort of mapping all those. And I think the real opportunity with hybrid work or work in general is finally getting us out of this nine to five routine or whatever your days were. Maybe they were eight to six, maybe they were, you know, four to two, whatever it was, but your company had sort of set hours. And I think now one of the things we have the option to do is just say, hey, it's about the job. It's not about the hours. You get the things that you're supposed to be doing done when they need to be done by a certain time frame. And it's not so much about you sat at a desk for eight hours. You could have sat at a desk for eight hours and been, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, whatever you do. It doesn't necessarily mean there were eight productive hours just because you were there. And I think that that insight and the other things you were talking about is just going to kind of blow that away. I, lo- I worry a little bit about the insight there because sometimes I feel like, is this the ultimate big brother? You can tell every keystroke I've made and every app and you know exactly what I'm doing. And everybody assures me that their insights are still going to allow for privacy and other things. You and I know that you and I know Maribel, that that's there anyway. We do it all day long with our apps that we choose. So it's like, we don't want our employers to know, but we go on Facebook or meta or whatever the heck they call it. And they're tracking everything we're doing. And we're like, that's fine. I'll let you know every personal private public conversation I have. I'll tell you what I buy, what I eat, what I drink, what I think about. And I'm just going to share the, And then whatever I don't do, I'm going to let you keep my microphone turned on so I can report back to you so you can serve me garbage ads all day. But I'm sincere. Like, I totally agree with you. Like, it's creepy that this technology is going to track us so closely. But at the same point, like, we've we've welcomed it in our lives and either through ignorance or through just just purely loving the app so much that we just don't care. It's apathy. It's ignorance or apathy. But privacy is like, for most people, they just don't give a darn. (laughs) Well, that's true. But you know, the interesting thing is, I think it's okay when it's your personal life. You get to make that choice, right? Then the question is, and I think that for like, if you go back, you know, in sales, they used to know how many phone calls you made all the time. Now, I think there's just a heightened sensitivity to, am I being watched? Am I being tracked? Are you, you know, what's, what's going on here? Or at least in, you know, the, the technology is certainly there to do it. So we'll see what happens with that. But the good news is it might have some really interesting ramifications in the sense of, hey, people are working, you know, 12, in COVID, people were working 12, 15 hour days easily <laughs> during this time. And I think a lot of that was unhealthy. So we might be able to get to the other side of that. But you brought up the meta word, right? So there's meta everything. There's there's meta as the company now. There's metaverse as a as a concept. And we were just talking about collaboration. What do you think of the metaverse? This thing or not? Yeah, that's a thing for sure. I don't know if it'll be called Metaverse. Uh, you talked to Jensen Hong at NVIDIA, and he's going to tell you it's called the Omniverse. But what we are certainly doing is we're going to see a, an aggressive path towards blending our physical and digital existence. And we're going to do this in a more sophisticated manner than we have. You know, we're at Web 2, Web 3, Web 4. You know, we're going to have cars that drive themselves, and we're going to have avatars of ourselves. I've been long waiting to be cloned, and while I don't think that's possible, maybe I can productively turn my avatar up to show up at some of these briefings that are all being booked at the exact same time on the same day. We'll call him Daniel Avatar. Well, I mean, we had Mini Jensen I doing know. his thing, answering I wanna, questions. I want to be just like him, but I want to know if they can write research and if they can do mm-hmm. podcasts, because if they can do those things, I'm, I'm 100% supportive. But, but all, all humor and, and fun aside, Arabelle, this is where we're going. 
And the real interesting thing to me is the question of whom or which organization we are going to entrust to sort of embrace this. Like, for instance, to me, it's very interesting that Facebook in the middle or meta in the middle of this identity crisis, trust crisis is launching full force into this and that the public would even consider it. But that goes back to my point of ignorance and apathy. People just don't care. You know, but then there's going to be the builders. Historically speaking, enterprises led technology consumers followed over the past decade, decade and a half. We've seen that flip since pretty much the advent of the iPhone where consumer technology leads and then eventually enterprises get whatever consumers have. Then it's, well, the software to develop this and make this really meaningful and useful because, you know, there's been things out there already, Second Life and these kinds of things that are trying to sort of do this early, but it has to be pretty ubiquitous. It has to be pretty seamless for most of the population. People, VR has been around a long time, but most people don't want to put headsets on. You know, AR has been around, but the goggles and the headsets and the glasses are still kind of heavy. The apps are still a little kludgy. And unless you're like repairing motorcycles and you're doing the same five motions and you just need a glass to kind of keep, you know what I mean? It's not particularly useful. But the idea of the kind of RoboCop world where you're seeing in one eye kind of the data version of the world and the physical in the other eye, I think we're getting there. And, and again, it's scary. It's a little weird. But, you know, I've always said in the end, the advertisers and, and, and people that want our data are going to look to build high value applications that make us very willing to part with it. And so they're going to make it cool. They're going to make it useful. And we're all going to do it. And eventually, like I said, we won't even we won't even bother seeing each other. We're just going to have a little can you imagine us at like the next Ignite together, just a bunch of little you, me, Ray, Pat, you know, everybody's little avatars sitting <laughs> at tables together talking. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but I do think we're going there. When Jensen started talking about all the goods, the digital goods that you'd buy, I started thinking, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be me buying some digital good in that world, right? <laughs> so be buying my digital buying my digital dresses. But it, but at any rate, I'm, I'm with you kind of on the, the metaverse, maybe not the way they're thinking about it right now. But in general, I think we get to this point where for at least for certain applications, some of the collaborative design applications that they're demonstrating today make total sense to me. It's sort of the next version of a, a digital twin if we look at nothing else. But then the question is like how pervasive it is and and in how many places and in how many years. So I, I think that's yet to be determined, but okay. So I always like to close with uh, a fun question. And so we started with fun on who you are, but now I'd like to go to, is there a place, a book, an activity that you would recommend to the audience? Oh man, can I recommend my book? No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that to anybody. There's one particular habit in the seven habits that I always turn back to when I attribute most of my, 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 the success that I've had for whatever you want to rate that as, depending on who you are. But I always rate back to the habit of empathy and that seek first to understand, then to be understood. And throughout my life, whenever I'm sort of trying to reset or understand why something's not working out for me, the bad habit is you make it all about yourself. The bad habit is you think about the world through that lens of everybody cares or is thinking about you all the time and you don't take a moment to think about how the world is coping and dealing with their own things. And during COVID-19, we probably recognize that more than anything. At least through our memes, we recognize it when we say, say things about like try to, you know, for a moment, imagine what someone else may be going through, like try to walk in another person's shoes for just a moment. So whether it's more of a tactical or strategic thing about seek first, asking questions, listening and understanding, that might be about identifying an opportunity to get some business. 
or it might just be about building a really great human and interpersonal relationship. And in every business, taking that business to the next level has always been about having that deep level of, of empathy and trust. And that's where you really do break through from having transactional relationships, which by the way, I felt became way too in vogue during COVID because of a lack of opportunity to truly court and vet your relationships the way you may have in person. But people want to, people, every, most people's favorite topic is themselves. So if you can't even do it for altruistic reasons or for just being a good human being, do it for the fact that as you really want to build your company, taking a little time and investing in those you want to build it with will almost always pay fruit and pay dividends in the long run. I think this whole concept of how you build an organization, I think you just went to the essence of some of that right there with that comment, Daniel. Um, wonderful speaking with you today. Where can the audience find you on social? Uh, where? Everywhere. Twitter, Daniel Newman UV. That's probably, I'm most prolific on Twitter. Uh, LinkedIn is fine. I try to connect with most people as long as you don't immediately ask me if I can, if I need your lead gen services or if I'm hiring temporary workers, I will connect with you, but I will also disconnect with you if you do that to me. Sorry. It's just, uh, just the way I roll, but otherwise those are my favorite places or check out my columns on MarketWatch and Forbes or visit me at futureandresearch.com. Perfect. Thanks, Daniel. And thanks to the audience for listening. Talk to you soon.